Please open your Bibles to the book of 1 John, chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in chapter 3, verse 14 through verse 23. Let us hear God's infallible word. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, We have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Let us pray again. Heavenly Father, You know our hearts today. You know, Lord, if we come with believing hearts or evil hearts of unbelief. Lord, you know if we're coming with joy or with sadness or with with even despair. And we ask you, Lord, to take us where we are and turn our eyes upon the Lord Jesus. Help us to run to him and find in him one who has said, come unto me, all you that labor. and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We thank you, Lord, that your promises are sure and steadfast, and you are the amen. And Lord, you will have your way in all this world, and you will save all of your people from their sins. So we pray, Father, that those here would hear and believe and trust in you. And we ask you this for Jesus' sake. Amen. I sometimes say I have 66 best friends. 66 books of the Bible. I have, you know, I was a very lost sinner. Didn't even know that John 3.16 was hardly, didn't know where to find in the Bible. And uh, began reading through this book. And I, I desired to be able to think through every book of the Bible. That was just one of my prayers. Still working on that process every day. And... Early on in my life, of course, the Gospels, I was saved reading the book of Matthew and began learning the differences in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just glorious differences and glorious similarities. These four witnesses telling us about Jesus perfectly. And then there's that book of Acts that takes the, the work of Jesus and carries it on by the apostles. And 
sees the church being established and Peter being the, the, the first major preacher in that book. And then Paul comes on the scene and it's just glorious. And then the book ends. <laughs> and now we're in the 29th chapter of Acts. We're just going on and these churches have been built and some of these churches, we can't find them anymore. Where is the church at Ephesus? It's very sad things. We wonder what will happen to the church of Clinton if the Lord tarries is coming hundreds of years from now. Will it be here? Uh, may, may it be so. And we, we come to this book of Romans, and early on, um, uh, my mentor and one of my mentors uh, taught me through the book of Romans. And when he taught me through the book of Romans, I said, I just came through a fog. <laughs> Lord, teach me the book of Romans. And so the Lord began to establish me more in the book of Romans and the 16 chapters there. And we heard in our preaching this week, it's the Himalayas of the New Testament. You have chapter 8 on the love of God and chapter 9 on the sovereignty of God and chapter 10 on the, on the salvation of God, all being buttressed by every other chapter in that book. It's just, uh, if you're a young Christian, major in all the Gospels and then go to Romans. And then you read through the New Testament. Each of these books has its own, own theme. They're all pointing to Christ, but they're pointing in sort of different aspects and different problems. You know, the Corinthian church, I read through the... <laughs> The Lord forgave me and taught me otherwise. When I read through the Corinthian church, I didn't think it was that needful because how could a church be that bad? And then I began finding out my own heart and the heart of people in churches and these things were going on in churches. And we need the books of Corinthians to teach us how to be a church. But then came, come to this book of 1 John, which is a great book of teaching us what a Christian is and and how we discern whether we're a Christian or not, and how can we be assured that we're a Christian. Uh, and we don't pit these books against one another, they're all together as one, and they all have their place. It's like the book of 1 John needs Romans, because remember, we've, we've read in other places, it says he who is righteous is going to walk in righteousness. Well, how are you righteous? Not self-righteous, that's filthy rags, right? You're righteous, according to the book of Romans, because of Christ's work, and you've believed on him. In Sunday school, we've read that verse, uh, that uh, um, the just shall live by faith. How are they become the just? Well, Jesus died for them, paid for all their sins. They believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Their sins are removed. That's Romans chapter uh, 3 and 4 talks about that, and also talks about the righteousness of Christ being imputed to them. That's Romans chapter 4. You have to have that. If you come here thinking your righteousness is your own, you're in trouble. And that's what the world is. They're always self-righteous. There's something they have done. At least they weren't an axe murderer, right? But we have a righteousness of Christ. Paul said he did not want his own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. We thank the Lord for Philippians 3, where Paul taught us that. And so... First John, has to, you have to understand Romans really to understand First John well because you'll think, well, I, I guess I'm righteous because of myself and then I need to walk in that righteousness. We're righteous because of Christ. But Romans needs First John <laughs> so that we can discern, am I a Christian? And how can I continue being a Christian? We need First John to, to fellowship with him. Remember, we've talked about this in other messages that he wrote it for five reasons to to, to, that we might have a fellowship with him. Not that we don't have fellowship in our conversion, but that we might have more fellowship with him and more deeper fellowship, more certain fellowship. 
and that we might have a joy that's full, that we may not sin, that we may not continue in sin, practice sin, that we might be protected from false teachings and that we might know that we have eternal life. Pretty good reason to write a book, right? Only in five short chapters, he writes what we need to know those things. And in, in our, our last message, um, we, we, we tried to take a 10,000 foot view on this word love because it's mentioned 36 times in the book and 33 times it's mentioned within chapters three up to chapter five, verse three. It's like so densely packed with love and it's not just, it's not the world, that, the love that the world has. That's a love based upon feeling. It's a love that goes up and down. It's a love that if you love me, I'll love you type of love. This is a divine love that is eternal, that is unchanging, that is unconditional, that when you fall, it still loves you. When you fail, it still loves you. It picks you up. It, it washes you. It cleanses you. It keeps you. It's the love of God that does something. I mean, I know that God has this infinite love for us, but Love is not a feeling, it is a commitment to do for someone exactly what they need, as much as they need. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the, the Paul, excuse me, John writing down Jesus' words is the same one who authored this particular book where he speaks about that love, a love that God has for us and a commanded love that we are to have one to another. And as, as we read through here, I mean, I, I want to mention last week, just very quickly, the outline. We, we looked at the, the definition of love from, from uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And you know that love does not seek its own. It's kind. It's patient. It's a love that comes from God. It's the love that Christ had for us. He is patient. He's kind. He didn't seek his own going to the cross, did he? He sought our salvation. We're to have that kind of love. We looked at his source. God is love. Love is of God. If you ever love God, it's because he first loved you. We don't have anything to be proud of. Well, look, they don't even love God. <laughs> Wait a minute. You would never, ever love God on any particular day without God giving you grace to love him. It's his, the love is the fruit of his spirit. We're not self-generating lovers. <laughs> we must have his love. And we looked at the manifestation of this by the Lord. And we'll be studying this for all of eternity. <laughs> Is looking upon the Lord and uh, just by reading the, the, the points, to, he calls us children of God. He's going to make us like him. He has taken away our sins. He's destroyed the works of the devil. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He has given us his spirit and he has protected us from false teaching. He manifests this love all the time through Calvary and now every day by his spirit. And then finally, I wasn't able to develop this in full. It's manifestation by us, and I had three points. It's manifestation through the new birth. It's manifestation by our keeping the commandments of the Lord. And it's manifestation by love for the brethren in deed and in truth. You know, we're commanded to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And we're to love our neighbors ourselves. But do you remember we read last week, it says, it's not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be a propitiation for our sin. I think of the Pacific Ocean. I had the privilege of seeing it out there. And you, know, you, you look and it just keeps on going and eventually you get to Japan. But I think of a spoon of, of water that I'd pull out of that 
that ocean. And I think that's kind of my love for the Lord. I got a little bit of love here. And then there's his love for me <laughs> out there. It's vast. It can't get to the bottom. Mariana's Trench, seven miles down, you never get there. It's, <laughs> he loves us. And he showed that so clearly. We've read about it so often here in this book of 1 John. But it's to be manifested in us as well. So you notice as we, I want to, I want to develop this third point from last week that I didn't get to finish. It says, as, as evidenced by love for the brethren in deed and in truth, what might these deeds be? Well, first of all, we need to be sensitive to the needs of the brethren and meeting their need as the Lord provides. Remember, we read it in this passage that if you see your brother have need and you have it by you and you don't, can't, do not provide it for him, how dwells the love of God in you? But praise God for every time we see a need and God puts that love in our heart and we're able to meet that need. Now, we don't go bragging about Remember, the Lord Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And someone says, well, thank you, and you kind of forgot what you did. <laughs> Oh, I gave that to the Lord. That was the Lord that wrought that. And you get to do something unto him in love. You pray for somebody. And one of the things we learned this week, that the seventh armor is all prayer. And it's not a little thing. If you're truly praying for something, you're not just throwing up vain repetitions. You're not just um, got some cliches you give to God. You're really considering that person, and the scriptures talk about earnestly praying. The, the word is agonizomai, from which we get the word agony. It doesn't mean you're just sweating blood every time you pray. Not, not to speak anything light of Christ, he did sweat blood. But we, we pray with a heart to the Lord for the brethren, and it's work. It's not just a, flip, just a word you toss up to heaven, you, you labor. Lord, have mercy upon that brother. And you keep a focus. And you keep a focus on that sister. And you pray for them. And you pray for them more often than once. In the book of Acts, they prayed continually that Peter would be delivered. You know, it's just something they did. They labored in it. And the apostles, we know that they labored in prayer. Well, not all of us have that option to, to be able to labor like that throughout the day. But we continue in prayer for one another. And so that's a way that we show love to them. How about attending church? How is that love to the brother? Do you realize in Ephesians chapter 4, it says every joint supplies. You're in that verse. Man, I just come and sit in this pew and hear this man preach. Well, <laughs> I hope you pray for the preacher. I hope that you pray that you can, can live according to the word of God. But the person sitting next to you, that's your brother or sister. When we dismiss, I love to watch the brethren ministering to one another. I'll just say, I won't say his name, but there's a brother in this church who every time I speak to him, he's always talking about Jesus. Now, other brethren, they talk to me about Jesus, but this one, always. That's good. And he's talked to me about other things too, but it seemed like he's always talking about Jesus first somehow. And that encourages me. We wash one another's feet, as it were, with the word of God. And we love each other. At home, we do. We're in the closet praying for one another. We're out in the, mowing the lawn, and we're thinking about the brethren, praying for our family, whatever it is. But there's something about coming to the assembly. 
where you take the time and it's, it's the, the churches were written, these letters were written to churches. It's the called out assembly. God did not have to do this. He did not have to make a body that gathers together. He could have said, I saved you, just do well in your home and raise your family. No, he said, gather together. And the, you think of how we gather together, we have these vehicles, we can go long distance. Our brethren in the days past, it was hard to get together sometime. Get the wagon going, it's raining. Got to, you know, we're gonna get there through the rain somehow. And it's cold, it's three miles there, three miles back. Um, and they did it and they gathered together and they made sure they possibly lived closer together so they could get together and they died for one another and served one another so they attended church and we attend church we visit them when appropriate you know the bible talks in proverbs about wearing out your neighbor with your presence we don't want to do that but we do visit and we do need to see each other and be another and, and be hospitable and have one another in each other's homes and and pray together and get to know one another. And then we bear with them and forgive them. And that's a very loving thing to do. I, I'd like you to jump over there to First Peter, if you will, chapter 4, just a couple pages back. I love this verse. Verse 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. How does it cover a multitude of sins? It's forgiveness. It's putting that sin away. It's putting it as, I've heard the expression, putting it under the blood. Well, that was an unkind word. Well, if they keep coming, you may have to mention it to that brother or sister, but... You know, we bear these things. It tells us in, in the book of James that, that in many things we, as, uh, we offend all. This tongue is an unruly member. It's, it says something nice and then it says something terrible, hurtful. And only Jesus bridled this tongue perfectly and said what was perfectly in every word and measure of it. And that every time someone heard his voice, it could be edifying to them if they'd listen. And we're not like that. And so, I know Brother Tom wants us to come together to love each other, but have you ever heard him say, we come together so we can sin against each other (laughs) and forgive one another? And we don't want to sin against one another. In heaven, we will not do that, but here we do. We forget to pray for one another. We're not mindful of another. I'm sometimes shocked at how long it's been since I prayed for a certain individual. I've got a list of it here, right? I go through it, and I hadn't prayed for that specific person just kind of read the list so we're to love in deed and in truth tangible we sometimes use the word shoe leather in other words it actually goes somewhere it's not oh I just love you be ye warmed and filled that's it just hot air blowing out no it's from the heart service to God laying down our lives for the brother we don't know what's going to happen to the economy. But we know that in the book of Acts, when everything fell apart, it was mi casa es tu casa. (laughs) My house is your house. (laughs) You lost your house, you got my house. (laughs) We know that there are Christians all over the world, more than one family packed in one household. It just happens. And we don't know. 
when we, when we covenant together, we are going to care for one another no matter what it takes. And we don't know who could lose jobs in this church. Well, I hope they know they can come and find someone who has a job who will help them find a job or help them through whatever it takes to get to the next step. It's just, it's just we have to do that. We have to, Lord, help me. And I, I pray ahead of time, Lord, help me hold everything in this life with loose hands. As, as Francis Havergal prayed, we hold it for the giver. It's just yours, Lord. Use it as you will. We, will, we must not covet. That's idolatry. That's not keeping the commandments of God. So we want to love in deed and in truth. So let's, as we read through this, did you notice that three times it said, we know? In verse 14, it said, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Did you notice in verse 16, it says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And then did you notice in verse 19, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. I want to speak about these, these three uses of we know. Now this is really the abridged version of 1 John because he says this over 10 times. I'll leave you to read the book in the next week or so and just mark, we know, we know, we know. But these three we knows. What's the first thing we know? We know that we're born again. What's the second? We know love. And the third, we know that we are the truth. So we know we are born again, verse 14. We know that we're born again. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. What a statement. You know, this is kind of coming from a reverse way. It's like, well, I was born again, therefore I must love the brethren, right? But saying, if you love the brethren, do you know where that came from? That's because you were born again. God breathed into you the breath of life. You were dead in trespasses and sins, as it tells us in Ephesians 2. Dead as a doornail. You might have heard the gospel, but you didn't come. You might have thought you were a Christian, but you had not come. But then he spoke. And just like he spoke to Lazarus, he said, Lazarus, come forth. He used the gospel and you, it came into your heart. You saw you were a sinner and you saw Jesus as a savior. And you fell upon him. You ran to him. You fell in love with him. You saw him as your only hope. Having died for your sins. Having borne every transgression you ever committed on the cross. All the punishment. All the eternity. I hope this is speaking to your heart. That you look at your heart and you say, I love that brother. Not because he's always nice to you. You just love him because he's Christ's. Christ lives in him. The least saint in this church, whoever that might be, and I hope we all think that could be us, is loved by every other saint in this church that are born again. And if you don't have that divine love in your heart, you're not born again. What does it say in the verse? He who does not love his brother abides in death. Now the world will use these verses and say, hey, we're all brothers and sisters. He's talking about the children of God. This is a special love for Christians. Now we're to love our enemies. I mean, if somebody is flogging you on the back because you're a Christian, you're to love that person and pray for them. 
But there's a special love you have for the saints, just as God has a special love for his church. He loves the world, but he loved his church so much that he gave his son for his church. He loves his sheep and he gave himself for them. A special, eternal, divine, saving love. And you have that in your heart. So where did that come from? See, I used to attend church as a child, but I didn't look around and say, man, do I love these people. I was drooling, dawdling on the bulletin, when are we going to get out of here? Thinking about what's the next NFL football game I could watch or something. It's just terrible. And now, this is a privilege. I don't care if you're an introvert or an extrovert, you go to church and you love the brethren, and you love them after you leave the church. You leave and there's this abiding love for them. You love people you haven't met yet. (laughs) Think about the the brethren in Afghanistan who are suffering in a Muslim country that some soldier might have preached Christ to them and they're Christians and they're they're suffering for it. You, You love them. We're to pray for all saints everywhere, people you meet in heaven. Lord, bless those Afghani Christians suffering. You know, it's one of the things, I don't know if this will happen, but sometimes I project, you know, they had to send me to the nursing home. I said, can you give me a Bible and an atlas? I need those two things. And the source would be all right, computer would be okay, but I gotta have a Bible and give me the atlas. Praying for each nation of the world, Lord, save them. Strengthen the saints here. Send the labors into your harvest into Tajikistan, whoever, wherever that is. And we love. We're born again. (laughs) It's just mercy. It's just mercy that we love. Because we were hateful and hating one another. That's what it says in Titus. That's God's commentary on us. Haters of God. Hating one another. How do you hate one another? I just ignore them. That's hating them. You're supposed to outwardly and actively love a person. It should be known and felt by them. And we didn't do that. We lived for ourselves. Idolaters walking around in our own temple of idolatry. That's it. I don't know. And the Lord called us out of that. He called us to this other life of loving people that he died for. Every time I meet another Christian, I say we're getting a head start on eternity. We're getting a head start on heaven now. We have Jesus. I know you now, and I won't have to meet you in heaven. I can't wait to get to know you better there. We're born again. And we know we are because we love the brethren. That's what we know. Look at what else we know. Verse 16, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. We even know what love is because he laid down his life for us. That is love. That's where love was manifested most clearly at the cross. You know, I read something, I've been reading this week on this passage and I read something that a person said, he said, you, some people look too much at the cross. That's what he said. And I wrote it to the side. I said, mm, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. And he was saying this, he was, his point was, we sometimes look so much to the cross that we don't really then actively do what we're supposed to do. And I'm saying, if I'm not looking actively at the cross, how can I do what I'm supposed to do properly? 
It's not either or, it's both and. I look at Jesus, I look at him loving me on the cross, and then I can love others. Because what does it say in the next part of the verse? It says, and we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. So how am I going to love them by laying down my life if I'm not looking actively, continually at Christ and remembering that's love. I know love. I know the person of love. You could write his name as capital L-O-V-E. God is love, chapter 4 of this book. You know love. Just meditate on that. Sit back in that wondrous place. I know the person of love personally. I have fellowship with him. See, that conversion is coming into fellowship with Christ for the first time. It's not hearing a voice from heaven like Peter heard who said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. If you read the book of Isaiah, that's more sure than what I heard from heaven. It's God ministering this word to your heart and you know it's God. Now, sometimes we are so dull. God, forgive us for our dullness. You read a paragraph and you've got to read it again and it doesn't, you say it didn't speak to you. Now, wait a minute, that's God's word. It is speaking, you need to just listen. Read it again, read it slowly. I mean, quiet times. I've had certain quiet times where I can only get through one verse. <laughs> John Sung was a Christian. He's already with the Lord. He, his, his, his quiet time was 11 chapters a day. <laughs> I haven't been able to keep up with it. <laughs> anyway, it's just, it's his word. And it's speaking to you and you know the person of love who died for you. It's this connection with him. And it's not, it's not like, well, he died 2,000 years ago. What's that? He loves you still. He's still ministering to you by that death. He's, his blood ever pleads for you. He is standing for you. It says in this very book, if, we, if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is standing for us. And we, we know love because <laughs> he laid down his life for us. It's the cause. <laughs> We do know this love because he laid down his life for us. That love produced our love. We are so finite. We, 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 didn't we sing about infinite love just now? I love infinity because it, it's, it's, it can't be measured. You can't measure God's love. It's higher than the, the highest galaxy, he said. His mercy is greater than that. We can't even see how far that is. So we know love because he laid down his life for us. And then thirdly, we know that we are of the truth. It sounds so self-confident, but it says, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. But what, what is that tied to? Verse 18 says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. It's it's, remember, he's already said we, we know we're born again because we, we love the brethren. And that love is going to show itself in deed and in truth. Because if it doesn't show itself in deed and in truth, you don't love the brethren and you're abiding in death. And so if you ever have a thought in your heart, a deed that you would do for another. And remember Dorcas. We have Dorcas Door. Some of you may not know that there's a white building outside the church building here that people can come and used to be on Fridays you could get a sack of clothing for whatever, put, fill up a sack for $5. 
And then the money was used to give people um, help with their electricity. <laughs> you know, it, it was all to help those in need. And Dorcas was a person we read about in the book of Acts, her name was Tabitha, translated Dorcas. And she made tunics and garments. And that's how she showed love. And when she died, they were just all weeping because she, they had these tunics. <laughs> and this love that she'd shown them, and of course, she was raised up by grace and by a miracle. And so we have this Dorcas whose deeds were shown. She, when she thought of doing something, she had this skill. I mean, she couldn't build a house like a carpenter could, but she could make garments. And people are walking around and saying, where'd you get, man, where'd you get what Dorcas made for me? You see, we go and we buy the clothing and we don't really realize the process. I mean, she had to get all this together and do it and make it. Some of you knit and all that kind of stuff. You understand more of this. It takes a while to do that. And to make a whole garment could take hours and weeks and whatever. So the point is, she didn't look at that and say, look what I've done. I'm going to heaven because I did this. She saw the love in her heart that she could do but provide this and do this because she loved and she knew the one who died for her and her heart was assured I must be a Christian because these loves these good works just keep flowing out of me what does it say in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 and we, we quote in Sunday school uh, verses 8 and 9 for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast and then verse 10 says For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Where's pride in that? I mean, if you ever did something good, that someone said, hey, that was really a good work, that was God. Long time ago, God said, I'm going to move this person who's, hey, he's kind of lazy, really, but I'm going, to, I'm going to make him move, get this thing done, and bless my child through him and show my grace through him and both of them will be blessed. And the one will receive assurance that he's a Christian because the love came in his heart and he was able to do it. And the other one was assured that he was a Christian because he loved that brother who did it. What a Lord. Do you see how he's binding the body together? We go to separate places, but we're one in Christ. He, and the scripture says we're compacted together. It's like a... He's compressing us, pressing us together as Christians more and more into the perfect day. What a Savior. Now, as we go further here in this passage, he says, we know these three things. We're going to look at this third one a little more from what it says. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Now, those words are, can be understood simply. There's not big words there. Propitiation is a big word. It's not in those verses. Um, understand the word condemn here is not condemned to hell. It's the word to blame, where when Peter was at fault in Galatia, Paul had to to correct him because he was to blame. He had done something wrong. And this is when our heart can tell, it's really our conscience, this gift God has given you. Um, it was J. Gretchen Mason said, God speaks to us in three ways. 
Uh, one is by general revelation, that the heavens are declaring the glory of God. God's always speaking through what he's made. But it doesn't teach us of salvation and the gospel. But then in special revelation, the word of God, God speaks to us. And we hear his voice in the word of God. And Jesus said, uh, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. You will be made like Christ through the word and through the preaching of the word. But then there's the conscience. And God speaks to it. And, and another commentator said, well, it's in sort of a different way. If your conscience is saying something that's not necessarily God speaking, because you might have a, an untaught conscience. Your conscience may not be correct in something. You might have a weak conscience. But still, that conscience is that gift that God gave to teach you and remind you of right from wrong. It's a very fearful thing to not listen to your conscience. Bible never says don't listen to your conscience. It may be an uninstructed conscience that needs to be taught. And you remember we had brethren who had a weak conscience who thought they could never eat meat offered to an idol. It can't happen, never will, never will. And this brother over here, they find out he ate some meat that was offered to an idol. Well, Paul goes through that teaching in, in, in Corinthians to teach us that, uh, and mentions it in Romans, that as we learn more, that meat was really created by God, for God, for us, and the idol's nothing, and, and it's, he, God is not dishonored if you understand why you're eating that meat. It was on a good sale in the marketplace. <laughs> you needed to feed your family. But then there's this other brother who, I, I can't eat that meat. Well, he invites you over, and you realize it's vegetarian soup there. You don't talk about the, the meat that you got in the marketplace, okay? You eat what he has, and, and, and you, you protect his conscience. And you hope that he, he reads in Paul's words where Paul teaches them. Well, I heard Paul say that really the, the, idol, the, the, the idol's nothing, and the meat was made by God for us. And I began to learn in my conscience, I learned it was weak. But now it's strong and I can go and eat that. But I better be careful with my next door neighbor because they may not understand this. You understand what I'm saying? Paul said that he would not eat meat as long as the world stood if it would offend his brother and cause his brother to stumble. So in other words, we have these liberties, but we have to be, as we love our brethren, we're sacrificial. We, we, we're concerned. We're thinking of them first instead of ourselves. Well, this is talking about our conscience. Brother, b- beloved, if our heart... For if our heart condemns us, let's go back, verse 19, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Now, why would there be problems with these two verses? Well, according to Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said, I could give you a whole litany and list of commentators that are great commentators, and they're on two sides of the fence with this verse. Some think it's a verse of, these verses are words of comfort and would use them only for exhortation for comfort. But others say, no, these, these verses are to, to, to get us going and to make us consider and to, to really be concerned for loving the brethren. Well, let, let, it, let us look at this from other verses that we need to think about. So we say, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. 
Well, God knows exactly what's going on in this conscience, in this heart. And earlier we were talking about what's out there, the brethren out there. This is you and God alone. This is, and Martin Lloyd-Jones take these two words. He says, this whole passage really hinges on the two words, before him. He said, this is what prayer is. It's when you go before God, it's just you and God. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) And God knows exactly what's in your heart. He knows if you really love the brethren or you don't love the brethren. He knows if you are doing these things for him. He knows if your conscience is weak, if your conscience is proper and good. He knows if you've been careful to maintain your conscience or if you've been running over it. You know, the Bible talks about having a conscience seared with an iron. If you turn over and you destroy, if you sin against your conscience over and over again, your conscience saying, you, you shouldn't do that. That's against God's law. That's against his word. And you just, well, other people are doing it and they're not getting in trouble. And you, or you, you justify in some way, your conscience becomes seared. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you take a branding iron and you sear yourself, it's going to hurt the first time. And it may hurt the second time, but there's eventually going to come a time it's, there's no nerve, nerve endings left. They're gone. And it's the same sin you're committing. It doesn't affect you. And so if you're that kind of person, that's, you're not really in these verses. <laughs> you're, you're, you're in darkness. You're lost. This is talking about a Christian before God, dealing with his heart before God. And how is that heart to come before God? Well, if I borrow some verses over here in 1 John uh, chapter 4, if you look at verse 17, it says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. So here's this torment that we can have if we have this fear that it's not based on love. So let's take that back over here and we look at and we see it says, Beloved, if our heart, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. So is my heart going to be not condemned because I've been such a great Christian or is there something that comes before that? And I'm going to use two theological words here. Justification and sanctification. You have to enter these verses with justification first. Because if you don't, if you get your sanctification in your mind before justification, you'll never get, ju- get to justification. Because you'll never be sanctified enough. If you're really being honest before God who knows your heart, that you can finally say, I've done enough. I, I'm justified. No, we must come from what the scripture says elsewhere. And so... Let us consider Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. It says in verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
So you come to the Lord with boldness. It's not because you were doing so, so many good works and loving so much. It's because Jesus has gone before you. He is the high priest who's already entered for you. Look at verse 9, as it were. Verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You see the order there? The blood of Christ was shed to wash your conscience from dead works so that you can serve. If you're always condemned in your mind, oh no, oh no, I I haven't loved the brethren enough. You can't serve. God knows your heart. He knows that you know that sin that you've committed in overlooking your brother. You've confessed that sin. You're seeking to keep his commandments. He knows your heart. He knows that you know you can't earn this, that you come to him by the blood of Christ. And that blood has washed you to give you a, a good conscience, a proper conscience, a clean conscience, so that you can serve and so that you can truly love. Over in chapter 10, same book, verse 19. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the flesh that it, through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So we go back to 1 John. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And how will our heart not condemn us? Number one, in our justification. Jesus has paid for all of our sins and we go into his presence by his righteousness, by his leading us in the way and received, coming boldly. But we come at these verses in our sanctification realizing we're in a passage that talks about loving in deed and in truth and assuring our hearts because God has given us new life, a new heart. And we do long to love the brethren and to serve them. And that he, by his grace, can help us walk in those things. Paul used it over and over again that he served God with a good conscience. In other words, he gave them the word of God. He served them while he was there. He didn't say, I'm giving up on you. I'm tired of preaching. I'm I'm just going to live for myself. No, he had a good conscience. He wasn't saying, I was perfect, because we know he said, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? But he knew that he gave himself to what God had given him to do. He fulfilled that commission. And we've been called as brethren to love him, to love one another, and we can assure our hearts before him because we have a Savior and because he knows our hearts and because he is going to help us in this task of walking with him. These, these good works ordained. And we can say, Lord, please help me grow. Please help me grow in love. <laughs> and what does it say after that? And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. If you ask anything according to his will, he will do it. Lord, I need more love for the brethren. You'll find something happening. Something coming, as Jesus said, an artesian well, the spirit of God welling in your heart. Not just a feeling, That'll come and go. But a a love that carries itself forth in deeds of kindness and provision for the brethren. 
If you're, not, if you're here without Christ, if you are not born again, you do not love the brethren, come to Jesus. Come unto Him. He said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Rest from a heart that does not love God first and does not love His people. What a Savior He is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for our risen Savior. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is precious. And we ask You, Lord, to help us to honor You in every way. Lord, we thank You that You loved us first. We thank You that You loved us when we were so unlovely, so sinful, so, so much enemies of Yours. And Lord, you've, you've changed our hearts. Lord, you've granted love where there was hate and life where there was death. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together. We pray you'd help us to remember your word and to walk in it. We pray you'd help us to fellowship around a, a meal, Lord, together. We pray that you'd bless our brother Fred as he declares your word this afternoon. Lord, we know that you've promised to manifest your word through preaching. So, Lord, let us hear that word and, and grow in Christ. We do thank you for our dear brother uh, Daniel, our sister Lindsay, uh, that, Lord, that you've, you've called them to yourself. And we do ask you to strengthen them, encourage them. Help us to love them, Lord, and help us to walk together in truth. We ask you all this for Jesus' sake.